Thanks for listening to Star Lores. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and giving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us make more great content by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com. We would also love to hear from you on social media. You can follow Star Lores on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? But I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. Uh, we're getting real intimate today. It's just me and Christian here. Did you uh, get the cream for that bath and nether rot, Christian? Is that is that cleared up yet? I've been uh, given an ointment by my medical droid doctor. Was, was it a bacta, bactaid patch? Yes, but I'm not telling you where it has to go. <laughs> Your upper extremities, as they, <laughs> as they said on Wikipedia. Or no, the, the upper thighs. Wink, <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Okay, so today we're going to be sort of reviewing or giving at least our retrospective of the Tales of the Jedi uh, comic book series that came out in the mid to late 90s. I yeah. think it ran I think from it was like 95 to, 95 to 98 or 99. Yeah, about Which that. is really interesting Like, because in my kid brain, like in 96 or whatever, I knew about the stories that were in tales of the jedi but then it's like that seems like light years pardon the pun <laughs> away from the phantom menace right yeah but but really the tales of the jedi pretty much ran up until right phantom, until phantom menace was released yeah I, I get that same weird like uh perception too like you're saying there's a lot of lore that you feel like it's super old but then if you think how it ran right into episode one and but then of course that's a perfect segue because tales of the jedi is super old in Star Wars <laughs> thousands of chronology, years old. right? It's four thousand. Well, tech technically, it starts before 5, that, seven thousand years. If, before. if you want to get real technical, because that's when the Dark Jedi exiles landed on Korriban. But that that part of the story is kind of brushed over. It's actually a little bit confusing as well because there are some panels depicting um, the dark the Dark Jedi exiles being exiled, presumably, being sort of herded onto ships. But it looks like it's Sith Sith species being herded onto Sith ships, which is confusing because, like, in the flashback, they're supposed to be talking about the Dark Jedi exiles and the Sith species hadn't left Korriban yet. So, okay. <laughs> it's very confusing. Oh no, they had left Korriban. Actually. Yeah, because they had left the Stygian Caldera. In, in uh, what was the the series we did before this that takes place chronologically before this? We already did the review. Uh, Dawn of the Jedi. Right. There are Sith that appear in Dawn of the Jedi. But they were just kidnapped 
they're, they're essentially alien abducted and probed by, <laughs> by the, uh, the uh, Celestials Thoyor. or whoever Thoyor. built the Thoyors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, the Guauld from Star Trek, I think. <laughs> or, or not Star Trek. Stargate. Stargate. Yes. <laughs> the guys who fly around in pyramids. Yeah. Um, that is also a point just about the whole series as a general statement is that it does, there's a lot of time skipping in it. It covers a huge period of time. It covers about like 800 to 1,000 years. Sort yeah, of. worth of stuff, right? So they do a lot of time skips within it. So if you're not keeping track, suddenly you jump like 600 years in the future at some point and so it can get a little bit confusing and then they 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 go back and forth and actually i realized that as i was reading the tales of the jedi on the dark horse digital app um i think they're not they're organized in chronological order not release order for for star wars not release order so you actually get a weird different picture of the uh stories so they they even kind of like how the movies came out the comic book series they would do a segment of the story and then they would do a prequel as yep. a, as a sub segment and then they'd go back and forth. And so even as they were like, I think, I think the first story arc is it Ulla Keldroma and the, um, beast wars of Onderon. I honestly don't even know what the but, actual release. But I'm order saying, was. I, th- I, th- yeah. I think that was the, the first release, but then chronologically the first thing is the great hyperspace war, war yeah. with, uh, Jory and Gav, yeah. Daragon. Which they released in real time later. Right? Yeah, that was so, a prequel. That yeah. was like, ironically, what George Lucas did. This is another interesting thing. <laughs> is that uh, both George Lucas and now Disney <laughs> sort of make the claim that they're not uh, taking from the comics at all. But yet yeah. pretty much everything they do in the movies. Inspired by. Or... Looks like it was taken directly from the comics. Yeah. At least in George Lucas's case, um, and you'll see a lot of this, is... And I didn't even know. That, that's not a very good example, though. Just just doing a prequel, especially because this prequel is thousands of years or hundreds of years, whereas Phantom Menace is only a few decades before, right? Yeah. It's the same epoch of time. Yeah. But I, I was just going to say, um, a lot of the ideas they do, it kind of, it's cool how it ties the expanded universe into the regular movies or the mainstream stuff. There's little elements that they did lift and incorporate into the movies later on. Uh, which we'll get into more detail later. Uh, there's some cool examples of that. But uh, I like that how it ties the EU with the mainstream stuff. So I brought up Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Wars. Let's go through our Dramatis Personae yep. a little bit here. Look at this uh, lantern-jawed fellow. That's something about the art in Tales of the Jedi is all the male protagonists just have the strongest chins yeah. I've ever seen. All a bunch of Easter Island heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would break your fist trying <laughs> to box that man. I mean, look at that thing. You could like scale it. <laughs> with a, you'd have or get a helo dropped on top of his jaw and snowboard down. Um, so Ulick is from Alderaan, which is, of course, one of the more important uh planets in the star wars universe you find out that like basically everybody who's important everybody who's anybody (laughs) comes from alderaan comes from alderaan until it gets destroyed of course yeah i think that's a way to try and add weight to it retrospectively is like all these great heroes came from there yeah and now that it is destroyed you kind of lose that history and legacy and especially because alderaan was so well known for being a peaceful planet and then it it being destroyed is like that's 
this is the true face of the Empire's reign is the most peaceful planet the galaxy's ever known yeah. gets blown to smithereens, right? <laughs> Although they weren't that peaceful considering how many terrorists they, <laughs> they churned out. All a matter of perspective. So I'm not, I'm not really sure why they got that reputation. But uh, be that as it may, he also trained under Arka Jeth, who's this old wizened is Arkajeth blind? Do you remember? I don't remember, but or he definitely he, gives those. Or he just has like opaque eyes for some reason. <sighs> this the art style makes it so difficult and open to interpretation. Sometimes it's a, it's a strange mix of like sort of manga influenced, but also like superhero comics. Yeah. at the same time, and it's like. It's very unique for a Star Wars run, for sure. Yeah, and they, they swapped artists a bunch of times, and then like they, they had to bring on hired guns like mid-production because they were so aggressive and wanted to... Hit their deadlines, yeah. ...turn out so much stuff, but it's like the one artist they got just was only a human, so they couldn't do it. Yeah, and, and yeah, it just creates an inconsistent art style. Some of the characters I remember looking very different between issues, which adds a little bit to the confusion, too. But like, and, then, and then as we were saying, when it's archived not in not in release order it yeah. also gets more confusing <laughs> because it's like you usually in comics and even if you watch like family guy or cartoons and stuff you see the development of a style and then they finally hit that really polished style that they're going for yeah and that's what they get but and so when you divorce the release from <laughs> chronologically it's from the style yeah all over the place because it's not there's not like an arc in the art style there's no clear yeah this is it suddenly just going. morphs for no reason yeah. and then it'll morph again in the future but sorry going back to mr keldroma who is arguably our main protagonist yeah i would say so odin Ur is kind of like and Nomi sunrider are sort of like second place protagonists i think the other thing too just and Quick. Kay Keldroma obviously plays a yeah, really big, just as a, a really big role too. But he's a supporting character. He's he's uh, like the Obi Wan to Qui Gon or something in uh, Phantom Menace. Yeah. So I was just gonna say with Tales of the Jedi, there's a lot because we do so many different time skips and different story arcs within the overall um, premise of of Tales of the Jedi. Um, you have kind of different shifting characters that fill the roles of protagonist and main villain. And like they, they, they tell a complete story. The story will kind of conclude tie a little bow tie and then it'll start another story. Right. Right. So, and some of those stories are sharing characters. So yeah, that's why they're kind of their position in like to say one character is the main character of tales of the Jedi is a little difficult where you'll end up with people like, yeah, is it, is it Nomi Sunrider? Is it, Ula Keldroma. It depends what story you're actually looking at. And Tales of the Jedi was really, it was almost kind of like the birth of the EU as we know it with like everything being connected to everything else yeah, all so, the time. Which will be coming up later. We'll definitely yeah, th delve into that. This was like the first time that they really strove for did that, that yeah. and, and like did a good job there. As I brought up in a past episode, they, this is where Star Wars started getting turned into hypertext fiction, right? You've got all these different nodes of stories going on that you have to consume separately in different media forms yeah. in order to get the full story of uh, the Jedi Order or whatnot. So anything else interesting about uh, Ula Keldroma other than his jaw? He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, of course, was a fallen Jedi he turned to the the dark side at a certain point and yeah there's you know the great 
Star Wars does redemption arcs really well, and he's got a, a nice redemption story. I won't, I won't give too many spoilers. Yeah, we'll we'll try and be a little spoiler light. There might be one here and there, but yeah, his main his main draw is he's the Anakin figure. Yeah, um, although that, he, I mean, I think obviously, I always love doing my um verses because I'm a, I'm a <laughs> nine year old boy. Um, who who would win in a fight of like who's the most evil? Right. I think I think Anakin definitely. It's hard to is be much eviler. Than sure. Ulick. Yes. I, I don't. I think Ulla Keldroma, even though he was a Sith Lord, I don't think he committed war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he only killed enemy combatants or mostly enemy combatants. On that note, <laughs> um, you are kind of correct in that. Even his fall to the dark side was for a noble cause. I guess arguably Anakin's was as well. But with Ulick, um, I'm just trying. Anakin to... was still pretty selfish, though. He was doing it to save his girlfriend. Sure, right? yes. And Ulick. So here's an interesting thing that I, I found is that Ulick Heldroma tries to conquer the dark side by joining the dark side. I thought Exar Kun did that. Did he? <laughs> Well, we've got. Like, Admittedly, it's lucky been a while for us. We're uh, we're, te- we're <laughs> plugged into the hollow net right now, and <laughs> we can, uh, uh, do a quick search. We can bring up his dossier. All right. So, like many an after-school special, uh, Ula Keldroma's fall came when he started doing drugs. <laughs> um, his, his friend. Am I giving a proper reading of that? To S- be fair, I think he S- got drugs. Keto <laughs> got drugs. Satel Keto uh, injected him with some sort of rage-inducing poison, and that sort of made him fall further. But he'd already had like this uh, sort of relationship with Frieden Nad's Force Ghost, and as we know, Sith Force Ghosts Force Ghosts are much more likely to influence the world in a more direct way than jedi force ghosts and some more passive yeah and so maybe there's something in that relationship and also because places where sith are buried or they spend a lot of time often become dark side nexuses and as onderon did because it held the tomb of freed and nad who is one of the he was a dark jack dark jedi exile right not a sith or was he a sith can't remember. <laughs> There's a lot of okay. One big complaint about also Tales of the Jedi again is kind of backing up a little bit is there's a lot of new characters, and a lot of them look kind of the same, similar, especially yeah. the Keldromas. Yeah, um, yeah. So you have a bunch of new villains, which we'll get into later. But Frieden Nad, Nad, yes, he was a human. Ma- yeah, human. So he would have been a, a Jedi exile, I believe. Yeah, I because the other ones would have been actual Sith species. Like uh, Nagasado, and who's the other one? Ludo Crash. Ludo Crash. Yeah, yeah would the have ones both who been have sort Sith. of. A, yeah. So, yeah, does he even have a cool lightsaber? Just a green lightsaber. Um, one like, thing on the lightsabers too. They they were designed a little bit differently in Tales of the Jedi. They didn't look so like as cyberpunk as. Yeah. Uh, like Luke's lightsaber and even Darth's, Darth Vader's. It's got like asymmetry and stuff, but the the hilt, the lightsaber hilts in Tales of the Jedi are much more streamlined and kind of fancy, epic fantasy looking. Yeah, that's the thing I would, I would say is even a lot of the tech from Tales of the Jedi 
the spaceships, the technology, all of it seems, I don't know how to describe it. Pseudo, like it's meant to look old. It's meant to, it's very divorced from what we recognize as Star Wars. Yeah. There's like the people in the, the Empress Tata system has like a very distinct style style of ship and their ships have sails, for example. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like reminiscent of almost like Baroque style you know with with sails and big like weather vanes sticking out of everywhere i think um in the empress tata system especially they were sort of going for a grecian kind of look because the the Daragon twins or siblings the hyperspace explorers who sort of open a whole big can of worms (laughs) for the galaxy and uh they, they sort of run around basically in skimpy little tunics yeah, I, I you know I never and made sandals and stuff. I never made that connection, but in hindsight, you're definitely right. And then w- when you look at uh, Greek culture, it was obviously very nautical and lots of s- sailboats and small sailboats yeah. too. And what what is it? A catamaran is that the thing that has like two two s- sort of hauls pontoon, on it? Yeah, pontoony things. Yeah, I'm I'm not a sailor. I don't know if that's also. A I'm Greek. a spacer. <laughs> no hyperdrives. We don't fly watercraft. <laughs> At primitive technology. But on that note, I think stylistically it was just done because this was a first for, foray into the past. Yeah. So this predates Dawn of the Jedi. This predates Knights of the Old Republic as a story. So I think technologically they tried to make things look and feel old, right? The same kind of associations we have, like you said, like that Grecian feel. Uh, the Sith Empire has obviously a very Egyptian feel. Yeah. Um, a lot well, of the buildings are, are. I read that they were specifically told not, not to not to base any cultures on real cultures, and they just did it anyway. <laughs> that's all they did. I think it's hard for people to to. It's essentially when you say don't don't base them on any cultures, then you're saying like break the laws of thermodynamics, <laughs> c- create something out of nothing. Nothing, right? Yes, exactly. That Everything is based off of something. Doesn't really before. happen. So that was kind of a tall order for George <laughs> to give them. Yeah. Um, and even like the buildings, they look almost like all the structures look like they're stone based, whether or not yeah, that's true. Sure. It's definitely the, the vibe I get from it. Yeah. Even, I think we get some, some frames of Corazon yeah, right? and, it, and, it, and it, looks it looks like an ancient city. It, it looks like stones, but, but like an ancient city, that's sort of a utopian fifties sci-fi yeah. kind of so, vision. So that's, it's, it's mixed obviously with, uh, a, I want to say, um, Totally blanking. Help you? (laughs) I have no. Flash Gordon. It's got like a Flash Gordon esque sci-fi mixed with ancient history and buildings and structures, and there's definitely a Ralph McQuarrie art style layered over all of that as well. I find a lot of like the face masks and and then I think the the Sith to the old Sith Empire. Yeah, is reminds me a lot of. Conan the Barbarian and that it's like they have that kind of weapons and just these ridiculous huge fantasy swords and <laughs> crazy axes and stuff yeah. and everybody's wearing loincloths yes yeah and capes when it's cold but it's like if you're cold but you're still not wearing and shirt. you're wearing a loincloth yeah. maybe that's the first thing you look at <laughs> why bother with this cape nonsense no wonder the Sith were so angry <laughs> They're cold all the time yeah. wearing those loincloths. Okay. So Ula Keldroma, before he fell to the dark side, he was uh, 
falling in love a little bit, having some dates, flying some beasts around Izzy's on Andron with Nomi Sunrider. And Nomi Sunrider, I think she's a great character. And um, not to beat a dead horse too much, but as far as you know, Disney goes, <laughs> and if you want to have a strong interesting star wars is full of strong interesting female characters female protagonists nomi nomi sunrider is a pretty good one because she she was a character that really stood out to me as being like super original in the star wars universe because a she's a single mom you don't really see you don't really <laughs> see many like action heroes single moms especially in the star wars universe <laughs> i can't think of a single one yeah i wouldn't say star wars but i think a big one is uh from terminator so oh, that's Sarah right. Connor. Sarah Connor. Did Terminator? I wonder if no, they wouldn't have been inspired. For People sure. can have original <laughs> ideas. Yes. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting about her character is that she refused Jedi training, even though she was force sensitive, and her husband Ander became a Jedi Knight. But she was a super pacifist, and that's part of the reason why she didn't become a Jedi because she didn't want to use a lightsaber ever and so that's sort of part of the arc of her character is her finally picking up uh anders lightsaber when her master thawne is put in danger and she's the only one who can help and that's like sort of a big moment for her but then it's weird because that's the moment when she's officially becoming a jedi but she's sort of giving up her values of peace and not killing people right I think, well, I think that's like a bigger philosophical question, like about pacifism in general. Like if you allow evil things to happen and I I don't want to, this could be its whole (laughs) hour and a half discussion, but you know, the, the big question of like, well, if you allow evil to happen, how complicit are you in, in that activity? Right. So for, at least for Nomi's character, let's say she's obviously made that decision that like she needs to become an interventionist, um, in order to really fulfill those ideals of you know, peace, right? And then it's also, there's a interesting psychological wrinkle to her character in that she sort of beat herself up a lot for not being fast enough when Ander was, her husband was put in danger and like she just froze with fear and couldn't pick up the lightsaber even though she was sort of saying that, oh, it's because I'm a pacifist. But it's yeah. like, really, she was just scared and she couldn't she couldn't move fast enough. And so... What, it, what does that mean when she does finally pick up the lightsaber? Was she really just being cowardly or sticking to her principles the whole time? But then, in any event, she sort of, in her head, redeems herself when she does finally pick up that lightsaber on the part of Thawne. And Thawne is the other part who would have been really interesting to see in a Star Wars movie because he's like this big... Quadruped. Quadruped. He has he has opposable thumbs because he can use the yeah, lights. but he walks around on he, all fours. But he generally walks around on all fours. He's very bestial, and they even like Nomi doesn't believe that he's a Jedi Master. Yeah, she just thinks he's a some crazy animal because yeah. his student is actually riding on top of him. Yeah, and that would have been great to see in a movie as well, <laughs> seeing Master Thawne run around again. Stepping back for kind of a big picture analysis, a lot of the aliens in Tales of the Jedi are very, very unique. Cool. Yeah. Very unique. You don't see them again. A lot of, you know, you get your familiar Star Wars aliens that you see, like Twi'leks are everywhere, you know. Yeah. Even the Sith species in this comic series and in Dawn of the Jedi, you see reappear. But there's a lot of one-off species. There's uh, Odan Ur. He's a 
he's my uh, my spirit animal. He's he's ripped. That's one thing. <laughs> he's on some kind of space creatine, I think. <laughs> and so so are all Drythos is. But Odenner's big thing is he, he just wants to read. <laughs> he just wants people to leave him alone. And then when he finally does get in the thick of of things and there's a fight that breaks out he accidentally kills a guy <laughs> it's like he's just too powerful <laughs> just put him back in his library he's dangerous <laughs> yeah it's like story of my life buddy uh so he's cool the drythos are interesting even just their their head construction is really what makes them different from you just want to describe it yeah they have these sort of long heads that almost come to like a bunny sort of overbite that they have and they have this this really interesting jaw construction where it's almost like they don't have a lower jaw but they've got these protruding teeth and then because of their head shape it sort of makes them look a little bit like they're stooped forward like like a scholar right the classic yeah hunched hunched over over a book book yeah yeah so he's cool the the drythos also lived to be 700 so he's a character who's with us from like the beginning of tales of the jedi sort of to the very end where well i won't give any spoilers but yeah (laughs) he lives out his lifespan let's say (laughs) and another awesome thing about odin er to me anyway is he got possession of the dark holocron and so holocron's serve the same function in the star wars universe as grimoires or books of spells kind of do in horror literature or especially in like hp lovecraft style weird fiction or even hellraiser there's these ancient artifacts that have like this hidden evil magic that they have they like unleash. an intrinsic power yeah. they have an un- intrinsic power but it's also because of the the information that they, they hold. hold yeah and it's a whole um narrative of like dangerous knowledge exactly yeah. and the note in star wars that's always represented by the holocrons and that, that's one of the very cool things about the expanded universe is how important holocrons are and how that's showing a different kind of information technology that we don't even doesn't even really exist in our world we don't properly have a an equivalent an equivalent yeah. of a holocron this thing that's like part spiritual part technological yeah and it's very unique they can interact with yeah. users in a variety of ways it's, it's not it's not strictly like an ai it's not you know uh pre-recorded so you can interact it's it's almost a living exactly fluid kind of bastion or reservoir of knowledge yeah and so a, a nice Odin Ur quote, to be brave in battle proves nothing. Bravery itself proves nothing. A Jedi should be prepared to put aside fear, regret, and uncertainty and either fight, run, surrender, or die. That, that seems like really strange tactical advice. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not with you. Odin Jedi Ur. aren't known to be great tacticians. <laughs> if the clone troopers can attest to that. <laughs> That's either fight, run, surrender, or die. It's like, <laughs> Those are your options. That's, that's a lot. So basically do either do one of all the possible things that you could possibly <laughs> do in a fight. All right. And so Odin Ur, an interesting alien, he was trained by another super interesting alien, which is a Seligian. And they are 
they look like brains essentially they're just gigantic brains with sort of a spinal cord hanging off of them and they have to travel around in like a special atmosphere from their planet and they have telekinesis and so they they float around kind of reminds me of a futurama bit that's <laughs> i think they stole that from star wars yeah um and again it, it lends to that like unique Jedi don't have to be uh, two arms, two legs, and a head, right? Like, yeah. They don't need to wield a lightsaber. They don't need... Those things don't make a Jedi a Jedi, right? Exactly. It's the, it's the philosophy that these living entities, whatever they look like, embrace, you know, which I think is an important part of even the story with characters like uh, Master uh, Quadruped. The qu- Thawne. Uh, Thawne, yeah. Yeah, Thawne and like this one as well, right? Yeah. I think they contrast that a lot with like what a Jedi looks like isn't necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Jedi's it's all inclusive, right? <laughs> you know, it's diverse. <laughs> you don't have to be, there's no anthropocentrism here. Yeah. This is, uh, <laughs> Again. Yeah. It's about the philosophy, not about yeah. what you, what you can do. No, we've got Nagasato. He's moving on to the villains. Yeah. He's uh, introduced in this comic book run. He's, he is sort of the progressive faction in uh, the old Sith Empire, if you want to say that. He's the one who pushed for invading the Republic once once uh, they figured out how to get out of the Stygian Caldera, which I'm not really sure why they were stuck in it. I understand why, based on the what that region of space it has, like this nebula, we'll get into it on the episode. But there, there's sort of a reason that makes sense for why the Republic wouldn't know that they exist. That they exist, but it just why they, they, they didn't leave? really set it up. Why, why, ex- what exactly kept the Sith from getting out of there? Yeah, but I'm, I could be like missing we, something. Yeah, we and you could read your own into it. Like it could be anything from like they were too busy infighting, or they don't have the technological progression. Oh well, or, well actually, they were they they were kind of. Tr- yeah, no, I think they were traumatized by the uh, the hundred years darkness like that because by that by that time in Sith culture they had the, the Jedi exiles had br- interbred with the Sith species and so humans were a huge part. I think even most Siths had human DNA. Essentially, there were no more Sith, pure blood Sith, Sith yeah. pure bloods. Although Sith pure blood actually means that you have dark Jedi exile blood in you. <laughs> Ironic. Does not make sense. <laughs> One of the many reasons uh, I keep flipping things in this because even the meaning of the word Sith is just like goes back and forth. But so anyway, Nagasato, he wanted to invade the Republic. Ludo Crash, who's also introduced did not Nagasato and Ludo Crash have a really cool dynamic yeah. but they have a really cool um sword fight and with like real swords not lightsabers yeah. at Mark Ragnos's swords, yeah. tool and they're they're really interesting too because they almost they almost look like chipped stone or something like they're really asymmetrical blades with a bunch of jagged edges like it's a, a crystal maybe that was cut forged, and shaved yeah. and fla- flaked well not not, not forged. forged the opposite of forged it's just like chipped out of a larger crystal lattice or something like that yeah 
We'll have to look into maybe what the tech is behind that, if there is anything. There's yeah. always something. Star Wars always <laughs> has something. And then there's Exar Kuhn. He's, I think he's my, or is it Exar Keen? I think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. I always pronounce thing. it Exar Kun. <laughs> Kun. <laughs> Kuhn. I'm not sure. But also a, another lantern jawed fellow. Um, he He's the person who first started making face tattoos cool i know we all think it was Forehead post tattoos. malone but in <laughs> fact it was exar coon he's got a nice forehead tattoo there and exar coon is also the place where we first get that meta story that hypertext fiction because he was first introduced by kevin j anderson in his jedi academy novels that were i think when tales of the jedi came out the Jedi Academy novels were like mid run, like the second it just came out or something. And so Kevin J. Anderson and uh, Tom Veitch, who is the head writer for most of Tales of the Jedi, collaborated a lot and decided that Exar Kun would fit in really nicely to the time period that Tom Veitch was writing. And so they decided to, they decided to do it. And yeah. I think to great effect, because I think he was a, a very cool villain the guy who invented double-bladed lightsabers yeah. so even before the mainstream audience was re- introduced to the double-bladed lightsaber in 1999 episode one darth maul yeah it actually already existed in universe through exar Kun. and as like an important thing like yeah. in phantom menace it's almost just a throwaway detail yeah it it's doesn't like, oh re- that's sweet but yeah and and it's almost like you you could see them coming up with that idea simply because there was qui-gon and obi-wan yeah so he has to fight too so he has to fight too you give him that double play the lightsaber yeah. exactly and and not that it was <laughs> this really obscure reference to something <laughs> that's like five thousand years old and so yeah as a nine-year-old, I definitely like that piece of fanfic. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was saying is that they, they do, there's a lot of these subtle um, transpositions that they take from Tales of the Jedi. And it's not an accident. Like they did their research. They knew what they were taking from the old stuff. Whether or not there was, there was like an intent, like, oh, Darth Maul is a Sith. He's adopting this ancient Sith technology. More so than just like, this is a cool feature from the EU. Let's introduce it into the mainstream. Yeah. Right. Um, so it definitely wasn't an accident. Like you said, they started like to collaborate even in the EU between um, Feech and Anderson. Anderson, right? yeah. And, so, and Tom Veach, by the way, he also wrote Dark Empire. Dark Empire, Which yeah. was, that was one of Dark, I think it was Dark Horse's first, first run. First run. Yeah. So... In comic book history, Marvel initially had the rights where they did these like weekly Flash Gordon type adventure <laughs> adventure things that really um, are different for Star Wars. There actually are some. some There's good some good gems. There. There's some gems yeah. in the rough for sure, but it's not how you would imagine. It's definitely a product of its time. And then Dark Horse picked up the licensing. I think because of each, um, each proposed the Dark Empire thing, and I think Lucas liked it enough to actually give the rights. I to I think Dark it was Horse. mostly just because LucasArts didn't care, or that. And that, that and oh, you you want the, you want to pick up this product? Okay, fine. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was. Is because Marvel <laughs> did such a bad idea. I think yeah. like the the sales were not doing that well. Marvel didn't really want to do it because they hadn't. They didn't seem like they were invested. They in. hadn't done anything interesting with it. And then Lucasfilm was just like, oh, well. Sure, nobody, take it. It's not 
a good market for Star, Star Wars, Wars comics. Yeah. So and, whatever. And, and so after Dark Empire came out. And they had no plans for the movie, for the uh, prequel trilogy at that coming point out, either. Yeah. So it was just like. They were focused on, and Tom Veitch, I think, also worked on the Indiana Jones comic books. And so LucasArts was like developing the Indiana Jones brand at the time. I believe because they had a bunch of video games and stuff that also came out during the 90s and those comic books and the young Indiana Jones TV, TV series. series. Yeah. And there was a, a series of young adult fiction books and stuff. The so, Indiana Jones EU. Yeah. If you will. <laughs> Literally. And, and yeah. so that was LucasArts big focus at the time. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it, it's essentially um dark empire led to tales of jedi which essentially spawned the entire comic book star wars industry yeah which especially for dark horse dark horse had the license all the way until 2015 uh until disney got the rights back and because disney owned marvel then marvel reacquired the rights and are are now producing the, the comics but a lot of at least a lot of my personal favorites are the dark horse history era eu comic books yeah i I think tales of the jedi is maybe my favorite star wars comic runs so far really that i've read there there are a lot it's not mine and i will get to my complaints in a bit here but uh there's a ton of filler in for example the uh, knights of the old republic comic book like there's a lot of storylines that are completely unnecessary in that and it actually was very detrimental to the The overall story story, because you just sort of got confused when they finally got back to the main You kind of forgot about it altogether. (laughs) But we're not reviewing that. Although Tales of the Jedi is hugely important for the video games. And I think I I sort of knew this because you do, they do mention Exar Kun and Frieden Nad and stuff in the first Knights of the Old Republic game but really the whole political landscape that the republic is in was shaped by the events of tales of the jedi yeah that being the first mandalorian wars right yeah um and even- exar Kun, right he's he's really the one who created the political climate strife that was in the knights of the old republic yeah, because they just come out of the sith wars yeah um so yeah a lot of I didn't know this and I was a big KOTOR fan and then I read Tales of the Jedi long after I played KOTOR and like yes you you see the references like Onderon is a big planet in both the game and in the comic yeah. book series there's a lot of overlap and you kind of think like oh that's a cool like throwaway reference but upon further reading like they on, are directly and tied. Onderon alone has like such a huge mythology attached to it yeah and they're directly tied to the KOTOR series and the KOTOR series is built on the back of Tales of the Jedi to such a degree, and then another another part of that hyper hypertext story, also with Tales of the Jedi, is I think the Star Wars RPG had been around before then, but Tales of the Jedi, in, it was released alongside an expansion pack for the, yeah. the tabletop role playing game, and so a lot of the lore was like created specifically to be rpg fodder yeah and then the kotor video game is actually literally the mechanics are based off of a D engine so it's it's very much paying homage to that uh, tales of the yeah. jedi D <clears throat> tabletop rpg playing kind of stuff yeah um even the idea of things like the so in kotor the mandalorian neo crusaders implies that they are 
resurgent crusaders right. right and i always wondered even when playing the games i'm like okay why are they neo crusaders why aren't they just regular crusaders and you discover the actual mandalorian the ones crusaders, with the, the bad batman helmets yeah <laughs> originate in in tales of the jedi yeah so like t- kotor takes place only 40 the crusaders armor by the way very cool. It's yes, like, we'll, we'll we'll touch on the Mandalorians because I'm actually excited to talk about. It's them. all spikes and gold. And yeah, <laughs> um, but Kotor takes place only 40 years after the end of Tales of the Jedi. Right. So even like you have characters that have been alive, like characters like Jolie Bindo, who does make reference to Nomi Sunrider. Um, I believe they they would have been alive. They could have been alive, yeah. or you know, they're only one generation apart. Right. So there's definitely it wasn't that long ago that Tales of the Jedi takes place before KOTOR. And just an interesting little bit of trivia um, about Bastila Shan. <laughs> um, she was actually supposed to be Nomi Sunrider's daughter, uh, Vima Sunrider. Right. Uh, but because of some um, copyright disputes, they decided to change her character. So it's that closely related where a character from Tales of the Jedi was supposed to be one of the main characters of KOTOR. And this is a hot take. This is unconfirmed. But our current working theory is that the copyright infringement was some sort of, it looks like it could have been some sort of multi-level marketing company who yeah. uh, had a really aggressive legal team and sued, and, uh, sued LucasArts because... You can find no reference to what to the, what it, the actual what claim the copyright was. violation was, which which is a weird thing. Like if it's another intellectual property, you'd think they would would at least mention it, and and that 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 property would want people to mention it as yeah. well. But a multi level marketing scheme, it's like maybe somebody in <laughs> LucasArts was like <laughs> working for them. It's an inside job. Yeah, it's an inside job. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting to see how closely related the two. Um, franchises are and i also have a complaint about that but we'll we'll deal into the complaints at the end of this but. uh continuing with the hair cast princess leia very distinctive hair padme amadala distinctive hair nomi sunrider is this gonna be like your hat theory yeah this is like <laughs> my hat theory nomi sunrider though has the story of her hair is uh, quite interesting because it looks like to me there was about three or four different artists who all contributed, drew, yeah. who all drew Nomi at different periods, and I think in each of those phases, she's got a very different hairstyle. And I think the problem was is that each one they tried to do something unique that the next artist couldn't really copy in a good way. So then they just sort of made their own thing up about it, and the result is just some interesting hair and and it morphs you know that that's another idea that uh disney ripped off from the comics is you know given what's her name daisy ridley the uh (laughs) crazy three three triple ponytail or yeah you know just trying to have a distinct hairstyle distinct hairstyles like all good star wars female protagonists i guess something that would take you nine hours to To do I have a whole thing about science fiction and like ridiculous hairstyles. You need to release it. We should have an episode just on the hairstyles. Oh, don't even get me started on Star Trek's hairstyles. <laughs> okay. So those are, and then some some other important characters. We get the brother and sister dynamics that come up quite like a lot. Three different times. Yeah. There's there's the Daragons. 
The twins uh, discover... They're hyperspace explorers who accidentally discover the Sith Empire. And by the way, an interesting thing about them is that, A, it looks like Arbor the Hutt may have an attraction to human females, which we thought before was exclusive to the Dissilogic Kaijudic, that they were sort of the only Huts, but I don't think Arbor the Hutt was a Dissilogic. And also what's interesting about Arbor the Hutt compared to other huts is that he ha- wears clothes. He wears like a vest and this weird sort of, it looks like a Shriner's hat. And then he also gets around by hover sled, but he uses it as though he was an anthropoid. Like he lies down in it rather yeah. than how most other huts do it, where they or just like reclined. Yeah. Because, and then anatomically, it would, it would be difficult to recline on your back as a hut if they're gastropods and it is canon that they're gastropods because what gastropod means is uh belly or stomach foot right because slugs have this giant muscle that acts on the bottom called a foot (laughs) and that's what it does and so if you think about that that's their that's where all their musculature and mass sort of comes from so if you then put them on their back they would essentially just have this big musculature of the foot weighing down weighing down on this squishy back it's like if you comfortably hung upside down for extended periods of time as like your kind of default (laughs) yeah it's like pose doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah anatomically but the huts are weird they get into all kinds of (laughs) you can't put rules on how they live life yeah exactly who knows but the brother sister dynamic the brothers siblings dynamic satal satal and Alima Kido, the Krath, uh, the people who are they start, twins? They might, they might even be twins. Yeah, I can't remember if they're twins or not. But yeah, they're, they're siblings for sure. But they're, no, they're cousins. Are they? I believe they're cousins. Yeah, they look very similar. Oh no, you're right. Yeah. I think you are right. But I, they still I, have a. I got them mixed up with the Daragons. Yeah, but they still have a problematic relationship, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> um, but so they they're just sort of evil get into sith magic and then of course you've got the keldromas as well who k keldroma who we kind of glossed over is the brother of ula keldroma yeah and then that's almost sort of i guess a repetition of the dark empire storyline really with sort of leia and luke. redeeming luke yeah. when he falls and k keldroma redeems ulik in a roundabout way i yeah. suppose you could say yeah and so yeah, Kevin J. Anderson and Tom Veitch worked together on it. And then at a certain point, it's interesting because Tom Veitch just seems to have quit just because he felt like it and he just felt like he'd done I a, think, as yeah, good a job a as he could do creative thing of with, like, with Star Wars. Yeah. And he's like, ah, okay. And then Kevin J. Anderson, it sounds like he was also really getting into writing comics because I think this was the first time uh, Anderson had ever written on any comic books, but he was basically given sort of the equivalent job as a showrunner on a TV show, for example. Like he was basically running the the operation, the yeah. creative end of the comic book, and so I think he really got into. And I almost wonder. I was reading between the lines. I wonder if Kevin J. Anderson kind of <laughs> maybe ed- edged him out a little bit, but. Possible. That's pure speculation. Um, so, you, yeah, Gossett designed the double-bladed lightsaber. He was the, 
I'm just going to say he was the best artist on Tales of the Jedi because he invented that. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's claim to fame. <laughs> that, that's good. Um, I remember this. I remember finding Nomi's robe in KOTOR and wondering thinking it was a strange name because i'm like who's Nomi? like yeah. that's nobody who's in this game and yeah it's like super deep there's two items i believe Nomi's robe and Nomi's Nomi's armband. armband and then there's also in the kotor game thon's robe robes which doesn't make sense because he's <laughs> he wouldn't have jedi robes but yeah. that's clearly what they are maybe but, it was a ceremonial thing yeah <laughs> they're clearly made for like a human and he's <laughs> gigantic like carapace to dog creature I think but of them like a rhino. I was looking at a picture of those robes today and I was like, you know what? Those look pretty comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could go. Maybe they're super roomy. <laughs> yeah, I could go for some Thon robes. Uh, oh, here, I'll read you something about Nomi Sunrider's hair, the saga of. I found that, even when Sunrider's I was reading it, hair. I was very confused about what was going on with her hair. But the, the, the one part of her hair the hairstyle that sticks out most to me is at one point she has what l looks like she shaved a widow's peak into, into her head. It. Yeah. But then left like tufts around, around sort of her forehead bang area, which yeah. is like, I've never seen that very long hair. Yeah. And then, uh, Anderson Ryder, of course had dread was a white guy with dreads and, uh, maybe that's why he died. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Nomi Sunrider's hair drastically changes throughout the duration of the Tales of the Jedi comics. In her initial introduction in the saga of Nomi Sunrider, she has long flowing hair. In the following story arc, uh, which takes place almost immediately after, she has, as I said, the upper portion of her forehead appearing to be shaved midway to the scalp. Yeah. But it's, it's it, like an extreme receding hairline. It, it, it looks like a widow's peak. Like, yeah. Or almost like a devil lock, if you've seen the Misfits. <laughs> like they kind of uh, <laughs> intentionally style their hair that way. But then there's one that I didn't even catch where it says the upper portion of her forehead appearing to be shaved midway to, on the scalp with tiny braids intersecting the baldness. I missed the tiny braids part. But anyway... Her hairstyle changed again in the following story arcs, repeatedly, constantly disrupting the visual continuity of her character's appearance. I don't remember now, but I wonder if there was even... And I not, I've noticed this actually a lot, in, and even in more recent Star Wars comics, that lightsaber color continuity is really bad for yes. some reason. Yeah. They'll have like a green or even a red lightsaber and then it's suddenly blue later on in yeah the same or the issue. red is sometimes seen as a pinkish color well, yeah. i understand that but sometimes i've definitely seen it's like luke has a blue lightsaber two pages later it's, it's clearly a green, a green lightsaber get your act together you guys can have characters that intersect over thousands <laughs> of years and you can't you keep can't, a color consistent you keep the color yeah that's what that's what seems strange to me it's like I th well, I that think that's a problem with comic books in general is just like, because uh, your inker and your drawer or your artist are... They're doing things different, are different for sure, yeah. yeah. And especially with something like Tales of the Jedi that has so many different intersecting artists, I could see that's exactly where that came from. Um, just as unique to the comic industry specifically. Um, yeah. So, so did, we, did we miss anything? Did we... 
a big part that I would like capture to just... the. I, I shouted out what's his name Christian Gossett because he invented the double bladed lightsaber. Big ups to him. He was a big uh, like he kind of set the tone for the design of Tales of the Jedi. Yeah, which. I like, but I have some complaints. We'll get into the complaints at the very end here, but uh, okay. before before we dive into that. Also, I'll, I'll name check Lucy Wilson. She sounds like she could have been a, a pain to work with, but that's just because <laughs> it sounds like that was her job. She was essentially the continuity person for LucasArts who looked at everything and said, you know, this is okay. This is not. Yeah. This is with George's vision. This is not. Another really weird thing I came across was that in the writing, they would give George questionnaires yeah, that where they would outline a bunch of different possible plot uh, things. And then like <laughs> just a questionnaire of George Lucas, like circling A or B. Yeah. And so that's sort of the creative input George <laughs> had on Tales of the Jedi was answering questionnaires, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Yeah. But it, we don't know that. That'd the be a weird way to write something. Yeah. But. We don't Maybe know that that is the way May. And Lucy Wilson, she worked on a whole bunch of the big Star Wars properties. I think I talked about her in the Shadows of the Empire episode. Also, she had a, I think she invented Prince Shizor's name. And she was part of like the initial writers meeting there. And so she then has had a greater effect on the Star Wars universe just because she's been in there. Yeah. She was in Behind there from the like scenes. the very beginning of the EU, essentially. Yeah. Which is good. I can appreciate someone who is at like center. That I, I would love to have a, a blue alcoholic beverage <laughs> with, <laughs> with her and talk Star Wars about her. Cause yeah. I bet she could go like for 19,000 hours about and all the stuff. That, that or she's totally done with it because like that's yeah, all she's lived she and breathed so for the last. sick of it because she did seem to have that job for about 10 years. Yeah. Now, if you do happen to listen to this podcast. Lucy, come on the show. <laughs> yeah. Reach out to us. We'll, we'd be happy to have. All right. So, what are your problems with the art? Okay, the art specifically, or just with the whole? Uh, let's say the design. The design of the, it. I think the design is. It, design elements were great in it. Actually, the Mesopotamian, Egyptian influences. Yeah. No, I like all stuff. that. I the ships are super unique. They're the not. The ships are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So my problem is in actually funny enough in the overall continuity. So Tales of the Jedi has such a unique art style and i get that it's meant to look and feel old but because of its later placement being ahead of dawn of the jedi and its close proximity to knights of the old republic i think it's super inconsistent so dawn of the jedi the technology feels like star wars it looks like star wars it's very it's still kind of sleek they do add their ancient flares i believe if you go back and listen to our dawn of the jedi review there, there elements, aren't many ships, though. There aren't, but the technology feels like Star Wars-esque. It's hard for me to describe. It's, it's like a sleeker, cleaner look. Um, KOTOR definitely is reminiscent of Star Wars, and that, that could be a complaint for KOTOR is that it's too much like... I would actually say, yeah, is that KOTOR doesn't look visually close enough to Tales of the Jedi, I don't think. Right. So, and so that, that fault can fall on either side. You could either argue that KOTOR doesn't look older than um, what's supposed to be. And it's not even necessarily... Well, here's I the mean, thing. it's older like, in Star Wars, but it's just different, right? It's supposed to represent a Sure, but era. there's like thousands of year gap between KOTOR and, let's say, the movie era. And yeah, they're indistinguishable. Yeah, if you go on the, the deck, 
deck of the Ebon Hawk. It yeah. looks exactly the same as, as the, the Millennium, Millennium Falcon. Falcon. That's exactly my point. So there's no technological evolution in that period of time. But between the 40 years that take place between Tales of the Jedi and KOTOR, there's a massive shift. Now, again, for whatever reason, whatever fault you want to throw that on, you can throw that on KOTOR for not looking like Tales of the Jedi enough, or you could throw that on Tales of the Jedi to being too radically different for its placement in Star Wars history, which is almost like a backwards complaint because you can't, at the time, they didn't, KOTOR didn't exist at the time. They, Dawn of the Jedi didn't exist at the time. And, and Veitch was also on, on record as saying he was really sort of going for a deeper exploration into the mythical roots of Star, Star Wars. Wars. Like yes. he was trying to pull explicitly from Greek myths and, and even and make it look even the Flash Gordon thing because that was a big inspiration yeah. for George Lucas, right? So I, I get all that. I'm 100 percent behind all that. Even and like I said, the Ralph McQuarrie art uh, style is definitely reminiscent or uh, I, appears in Tales. I of the don't Jedi. think it's very Flash Gordon looking, though. To be honest, I I think it's just the coloring that could be part reminiscent of, it, of that, Flash Gordon. But I think the actual design elements aren't very Flash Gordony. The the Flash Gordon stuff is so like. A little bit 20th century but then plus really bad theater props <laughs> right that's sort of that's the vibe i get from tales of the jedi and really, like art, I, art I is interpretive right i i get it it's much well it's it's bad props but it's all bad props from a specific shakespeare play sure like, right like it's yeah. consistent yeah. across the board flash He's, gordon is more seat of the pants much like a lot of the star wars design elements are just like that like Bosk's uh, costume, for example, yeah. was just repurposed from a Space, from a uh, no, it was from a. It was supposed to be like a World War II pilot's jumpsuit. Is oh, what is Bosk was wearing? <laughs> yeah, from another movie that was about World War II. Okay, and, and then that became the basis for <laughs> a whole bunch of other uh, pilots in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. yeah, so I don't like I said, I'm not necessarily placing blame on Tales of Jedi. I just it's a it's a pretty strong inconsistency. They they were really cracking the whip on the artists who were working <laughs> on Tales of the Jedi. Yeah. From from what I read, like they were having to bring in people guns halfway through and and people were like artists were like quitting and going on sabbaticals in the middle <laughs> of production and stuff because they're so they're just driven out. so hard. Yeah. Just cranking yeah, this so stuff out. Again, like it's just a a general and and because of that they the inconsistency is because they had our rotating art team cast of yep. artists and that happens sometimes and that sucks because it would have been better if it would have been the same artists all sure. the way through yes it wouldn't have it. been so jarring sometimes that being said though i think the old the old sith story arc is really cool to see how that enmity between the republic and the sith starts the idea that huge reveal that's that's such like a a star wars mind smash when you realize that sith was a species not just just a, a philosophy a yeah. bunch of crazy religious zealots um and even further to that the mandalorians and the man oh i yeah. can't believe we, we didn't even touch we on barely that. even talked about how yeah. awesome the mandalorians are yeah 
We're um, just going to do the Mandalore podcast <laughs> at some point. Just do Mandalorian exclusive. Just nothing but Mandalore. But even like, okay, so the Tong species were first appearing in Tales of the Jedi. And so. that's also like a huge thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, their armor style is very unique compared to any kind of Mandalorians you see but in the future. But also clearly inspired by Boba Fett's Yes, armor. with the T-Visor. Right? But very different at yeah. the same time. It looks, um, it looks more organic is the word I want to use. It looks... To me, it looks organic mixed with Roman gladiator. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. But now that you're mentioning it, that's one of the really great design elements of Tales of the Jedi. I think that makes it stand out is I think the Mandalorian Crusaders are very unique visually in sci-fi even, let alone in Star Wars. You don't really see anything that quite looks like them. Yeah. And then the Basilisk war droids too. Those are such an awesome idea. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to find out what writer, because oh, the chronology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to get into it. We'll save it for the Mandalore podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Got anything else? Uh, just another complaint is. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> you can't have a review without having. An honest review has critiques. That's right? true. Um, I think a lot of the big conflicts that it covers, you cover a bunch of major conflicts in Star Wars history, the hyperspace wars, the Sith wars, and a couple of other ones. Um, the beast wars. The beast wars. That one's not necessarily intergalactic. Uprising. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at any Star Wars timeline, you'll see those, those events place on them because they're pretty significant. To me, the way they're portrayed, and, and that could be a limitation of the comic book, they seem very quick and they're almost like revolve around single battles for supposedly big galactic events. Yeah. since Tom Veitch had been, this was his brainchild for a long time before it actually got around to being made. He'd sort of mapped out the whole old Republic era just on his own before he even wrote dark empire. And so, and Tales of the Jedi was originally supposed to be longer. I think maybe the movie um, made Dark Horse want to shift gears. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating now. But right. it was supposed to be longer. And Tom Veitch sounds like he certainly had enough material that you this, stretch this that. could have been like X-Men or something. Like right. it could have just an ongoing gone, gone on forever and ever. Yeah. And so I think if that had been the case, it would look that stuff would feel a little bit different because there'd be so so much other stuff in Tales of the Jedi and it probably would have built and built momentum and got bigger and bigger feeling stories. Yeah. But just because it's just in this relatively compressed format, they didn't really let them breathe enough. You're right. I, I, f- I feel like. And, and they seemed a little bit Did you get that same scale. vibe? I got yeah. that same vibe. And I think that's why is because they were just trying to yeah, I think it's a limitation. A bunch, of, a bunch of plot points yeah. at that point. And um, they just never got the chance and, to let but it But that out. also leaves room because of its format where you can imagine, okay, so you just see one or two panels that portray a big battle, but it doesn't necessarily encompass all of what happened in that battle too, right? right? So you could have all this other stuff that you can, in your imagination, add in uh, yourself. So I, I do like that. It's still a little open-ended. Some of them are really compressed time-wise, which you can't really get around, right? Like a major battle taking place in an evening and then being done, right? Like, um, 
and I arguably that could be a, a, a complaint about Star Wars in general, but um, definitely it stands out in Tales of the Jedi, which is one of my major complaints about it. Um, but other than that, what, is, what do you think is your kind of final takeaway or final feelings about Tales of the Jedi? Uh, I highly recommend it, especially if you've if you don't know where to start with Star Wars Legends, even the Star Wars Legends universe as a whole, it, it's also a good place to, I think, to start. Because I think it really, it holds up a lot better than a lot of other Star Wars comics, I think. I think a lot of Star Wars comics, especially that came out later too, were so, they were really exploring every nook and cranny of the universe. But then in doing that, the stories that they told just sort of got dopier and dopier and like lower and lower stakes but tales of the jedi is very it does hit on those melodramatic notes kind of especially with once exar Kun comes i think that's the best the best arc is him and him uh or is it crap is it is it exar Kun or ula keldroma who commands the mandalorians uh it's exar yeah it's Kun. yeah, yeah. So he has a great storyline with the Mandalorians and that stuff. I think... And because of the Mandalorians' origin stories in that, that also makes it, I think, a good place to start with Legends Comics or the Expanded Universe generally. So I have the opposite take. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think even in that where like you have trouble sometimes remembering... Now, granted, it was probably a while since you read Tales of the Jedi. I know for me it's been quite a while. But... And it could just again being a whole new era, a whole new cast of characters. There's a and it could be of the art style. I heard some complaints about that, or read some complaints about that as well. Is it's it's sometimes hard to track all the new characters because you have all these like intertwining storylines and a whole new cast of people. A little, I think the biggest problem is just that inconsistent art style. So me. you kind of forget what some characters yeah. look like when they're in a new setting. Yeah, um, I don't. I definitely wouldn't advise it as introductory material for a new fan. I think it's I think it's rewarding for a long-term fan who's been invested. I think there's easier reads to start into with. I think it's very I think it's very dense and again because of things like shifting ourselves and stuff you have to already be invested in Star Wars. I think it could lose new people very quickly. Um, I think it's rewarding for someone who's been invested in Star Wars for a long time to go back and see the origins of a lot of, there's a lot of cool things in there that you see the origins of like the, the ruins on the Avon four. Right. Um, I think you're selling the story short. Maybe it's fair. It's, it's a matter of opinion. This is mine. Um, but yeah, again, it's rewarding for people to go back and look at all these cool features that were added in. Cause after. what, what you're describing is sort of my experience reading the old Marvel comic <laughs> run is that, and this is actually an interesting thing is Tom Veach was like us about the star Wars comics that had come before. before. Like he knew everything about them and he actually tried to incorporate storylines, everything he could that yeah. Marvel had, had published and stuff. But what you just described, it's like, yeah, if you're a huge fan, you know, it's <laughs> fun to go back and look at this weird stuff they were doing. But I'm, I'm telling you, there were, they're good stories that hold up. I'm not, it's not a critique of the story itself. I think it's more of the format and how it's delivered. Better stories, I think, than Dark Empire. <laughs> that's a, a matter of opinion um but yeah overall not my favorite star wars material 
definitely some cool elements. I enjoyed it because I am a huge Star Wars fan. I think other big Star Wars fans should check it out. So this is just for the elite is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's after you've uh, been versed in Us elite hacksaurs. <laughs> a little bit of uh Star Wars mythology first. I think there are I think there are easier entries into into the EU. And that's my take. Such as <laughs> Nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. <laughs> the movies for starters. <laughs> Let's start oh, there. What's that? I hear twin ion engines. <laughs> get the get to the blaster quad, Christian. All right. Okay. 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 Okay.